sermon series for the month of September. And through the next couple of weeks, we are going to be looking at some of these crazy things that Jesus has to say to us. Things that make us pause, maybe do a little double take, and respond, say, what? Are you sure, Jesus? Is that really what you meant to say to us? Last week, as we started this journey, we looked at Jesus' words in the Gospel of Luke when he said that if you were not prepared to hate your mother and your father, your, your spouse and your siblings, well, then you cannot be my disciple. <coughs> Seemingly harsh words, right, from the, the teacher who talks continuously about loving one another, reminding us that we must be prepared to hate. And, and so we considered together, what is the cost of discipleship? What does it mean? What do we have to give up in our lives to be a disciple of Christ? If you were with us last week, uh, we handed out some blank checks for you to consider what is your sacrifice? What is the cost in your life? And you recorded those on the blank checks, giving them back over to God. You gathered at the altar rail and committed them to God. And I hope that you have continued to be in prayer, considering what it is that you must give up. What is your cost and your recommitment to being a disciple and going on this journey with Christ. Well, this morning we're going to turn to another crazy story from Jesus. We're going to turn to one of those lesser-known parables. Of Jesus. It doesn't exactly fit in those illustrated storybook Bibles that we have as children. It doesn't end with that nice little happily ever after note. But to kind of get us in the right mindset, I'm not giving you another pop quiz. Don't worry, we did pop quiz last week. We're just going to kind of remember together some of those parables of Jesus. All right, do you remember the one about the, the man who had the two sons? Right? One son, oh, what was it? I heard somebody already said it. The prodigal son, beautiful. Yes, the prodigal son, right? One of the sons wants his inheritance sooner. He grabs it, he goes off, he spins it all, and then returns back home to be welcomed by his father. A party is thrown. And aside from the grumpy older brother, they lived happily ever after. There's another one, right, about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. The lost sheep, yes, one of the sheep gets lost. The shepherd decides to leave the 99 and go out to find the one. And when he does, he throws this great party to celebrate. Right? Both these parables illustrating to us the great links that God will go to, to bring us back into the fold. Both of these parables illustrating God's great love and grace that is extended to us no matter what at all times. All right, one more, because you guys are doing so great. You're on a roll. Jesus tells the parable of, of the man who is robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. Oh, yeah. All right, I like it. Y'all are ready to go. You're like, okay, I got this one. I'm good. Yes, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? 
This man is robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. A priest walks by and ignores him. A Levite walks by and ignores him. But then along comes the good Samaritan. And we are reminded what it is to be a neighbor and who our neighbor truly is. Doesn't always look like how we would think. Doesn't always come from the places where we come from. But we are neighbors, all of us together. All right, I'm very impressed. Way to go. We, maybe we should have had a pop quiz. Y'all would have aced it. That would have been great. So, so many of these parables, right, they, they kind of come together. They are great bedtime stories for us to tell to our kids. But as we started to kind of pick up on last week, not every story Jesus tells, not every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth gets wrapped up with a nice bow, right? Jesus isn't always looking for that feel-good story of the summer. Some of the things he has to say sting more than they soothe, pack a punch rather than please or even pacify. This morning we hear one of those stories. It comes from the Gospel of Luke the 17th chapter. You'll see it up on the screens. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Would any of you say to your servant who had just come in from the field after plowing or tending sheep, come sit down for dinner? Wouldn't you say instead, fix my dinner, put on the clothes of a table servant and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you can eat and drink. You won't thank the servant because the servant did what you asked, will you? In the same way, when you have done everything required of you, you should say, we servants deserve no special praise. We have only done our duty. So all together now, say what? <laughs> what? Jesus, in this small little handful of verses, Jesus has managed, manages to say a few crazy things. And they kind of seem out of place, but they are an answer to this proclamation, this exclamation from the disciples, where the disciples say, Jesus, increase our faith. We need more faith. And see, what's happened is Jesus has been having this conversation with his disciples about what is expected of them, what does it mean to live a life of faith, and he's just finished telling them about the importance of forgiveness and how often we should forgive. Not once, not twice, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times, right? Over and over again, this is part of our life of faith, a life of forgiveness, and so the disciples cry out, oh, Jesus, increase our faith. There is no way we can live up to this ideal. There's no way we could embody this life of faith with this current faith that we have. Increase our faith. And Jesus responds by talking about a, a seed and a tree. 
You know about the mustard seed, right? It's so small. I thought about having some mustard seeds for us to, to put in our hand this morning, but then I thought, well, no, then I'd have to get some magnifying glasses too. <laughs> and then we'd spend like the second half of worship on the floor trying to find where we had dropped our mustard seeds. But, but they're so small, right? They're so small. But Jesus says, even if you have the faith the size of that seed, you can look to that tree and tell it to move into the ocean. And it would. Now, this is when reading the Bible literally can get us into trouble. <laughs> Jesus isn't here to say, you know, our faith, our life of faith makes us the next great David Copperfield, right? Where we can move things all over the place. A life of faith isn't about performing these spectacular tricks or being all powerful over creation. No, Jesus is saying that the amount, the size of our faith, it doesn't matter because even a faith this small can do and live in amazing ways. We come to, to sometimes think that we just don't have enough faith. Right? We just don't have enough. God, I need more. And, and we come up with this idea of what is enough. If I only could love this much more, if I could only care this much more, if I only had this much more compassion, then, then yes, then my faith would be big enough and I could actually do something. Then I could actually be a real disciple. But Christ says, no, it's even faith the size of a, of a mustard seed has the power to move mightily in the world to share God's love in amazing ways. Even faith the size of a mustard seed. I love one commentator as I was preparing this week, he, he said this, he said, the point is not that they need more faith. Rather, they need to understand that faith enables God to work in a person's life in ways that defy our human experience. They don't need more faith. They just need to see that faith allows God to work. And if we allow God to work, well, then that goes beyond what we're capable of and into what God is capable of. Now, as crazy as this idea of moving a tree from being planted in the earth to planted in the sea is, Jesus goes on, doesn't he, <laughs> to tell this parable about a master and a servant. The servant has been out in the fields working all day, and when, when the servant comes in to the house, Jesus says, we're not looking to share extra compassion or bestow praise upon the servant. No, we tell him now that you're in the house, you do the, house, the things of the house. And when all that is expected of you is completed, well, then you may sit and share a meal with me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I just get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> right? I, I'm a people pleaser by nature. 
So, you know, when I think about when someone comes in from all this hard work that they've done outside, I want to praise them. Oh, thank you so much. You did such a wonderful job, right? But um, Jesus is saying no. I don't know. It just doesn't sit well with me. I mean, I'm not out here saying we need to have, like, discipleship participation trophies, right? That's not... That's not what I'm after. But I mean, like, a thank you is nice. Maybe like a high five or a pat on the back. I don't know, it's like um, a bouquet of flowers on your discipleship anniversary. Is that too much to ask for? I don't know. (laughs) But in this parable, Jesus is reminding us that, that the life of a disciple, it's, we don't live it for the rewards. We don't live it for praise. We don't live it for the thanks. We live it because that's what it is to be a disciple. Right? In this parable, we are the servants and God is our master. And Jesus is reminding us that we go through our days doing what is required of us, what has been set forth by the master, not so that we can receive praise from the master, not so that we can kind of gain these heaven points to be cashed in later on, but because this is the life that we are called to lead. And if you want a reward, well, let me tell you, the greatest reward we could ever get is relationship with God. There's no earthly reward that could ever compare. And so we live our faith to live our faith. Not for praise, not for reward, but for faith. So when I think about these these two wild and crazy things that Jesus had to say to his disciples when they're asking, increase our faith. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't get it. (laughs) You're missing the point. I hear Jesus saying this to his disciples and saying it to us. When it comes to a life of faith, just do it. Just do it. I know Nike is not usually our source for theological understanding, but they hit the nail on the head with this one. Even if we think we don't have enough faith, even if we think we are not capable of loving enough or we are not able to serve enough, even if we, we just feel like my faith is too small, God, I just can't do it, God says, just do it. Just do it. Even when we are looking around and we feel like, oh, there are things that need to be done, but I don't know. What's in it for me? Not necessarily in a bad way, right? But I've got to prioritize things in my life. (laughs) I'm not going to get anything out of doing that. I, I don't, I feel like I give and I give and I give and I never receive. I feel like I serve and I serve and I serve and never get served back. God says, just do it. Just do it. No matter the size of your faith, 
No matter what you see as risk or reward, as we live a life of faith, Jesus says, just do it. Now, how this takes shape for each and every one of us, it looks very different, right? It may be something small, something very small, like listening to that person behind you in line at the store who seemed to miss the I don't want to talk stamp that you had on your forehead, but they want to share with you everything that's been going on in their life. Maybe to just do it means listening. Not to help, not to change, but just so they know someone has hurt them. Maybe it's something as small as sending a a note, thinking about you and praying for you to a friend or a family member who's been going through a rough time. Just do it. It may mean doing something outside of your comfort zone. Something like serving dinner at Must Ministries. Our church does that the first night of every month. Just do it. Or being an overnight host our next Family Promise Week. Spending the night on a cot here at the church outside of your home, being available to help someone who is without a home. Just do it. It could be something in your school, it could be something at work, in your neighborhood, that you see needs to be done, and people may never know that you were the one who did it. But it would help and it would serve, so you just do it. I came across a a story this past week while I was preparing about a group of mostly men in Detroit who took on this just do it attitude. Take a look at their story in this video. When they close a park, they don't actually like close it. They just stop mowing it and stop coming by and pick up the trash and that sort of thing. And I thought, Hey, this is something that, you know, I could do. I could go buy a lawn tractor on Craigslist and start mowing parks. That seems pretty reasonable. When you mow under a swing set, almost always before you're done mowing, a kid or a group of kids will come and start swinging on the swing set. And those kids have been waiting to play on that swing set. They just couldn't come out there when the grass was so long. So it's not a beautification thing. I mean, adults, you know, if you want to, you can go plant flowers. The issue is that there's a lot of kids in Detroit and someone has snatched away all the play places for them. Is that what social innovation is? It's people like me who are from outside the system can see a bit of low-hanging fruit and say, I can do that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't think about these things in, this, in the way that you guys think about them. I just saw a need that needed to be addressed. And I mean, I was looking for volunteer work and I wanted something that was fun and impactful. So I found other people that, that enjoy it too. We have a good time doing it. It's not like, um, it doesn't feel like work when we're, when we're at it. It's kind of like a biker gang, but with lawnmowers. The parks that we work on 
have started to sprout out, like youth football leagues are playing there now. There's one place, O'Shea Playground, which had a shuttered recreation center there, and it was all burned out and everything. And we started mowing the place, and now football teams come out, and between the times we mow, they cut their football, their practice field, one extra time in the span of every time we're there. So they're playing on the field, they're taking care of the field, they're looking out for it, and that's the type of stuff that I like to see. So this group of people in Detroit saw that their local parks were getting overgrown, that the city just couldn't afford to keep them mowed. And so they could have sat back and complained, ah, oh, the bureaucracy of the city, right? Instead, they decided, well, I'll just get my mower. And I'll go out there and I'll mow the grass. People may see me doing it, they may not. I'm not going to get paid for it, I'm not going to get recognized for it, but I'm going to be able to see where these kids come and now have a place to play. I love where, that he said that as soon as he mows under a swing set, there are kids on the swing. Right? They looked around, saw something that needed to be done, a way to serve their community, and they just did it. You may have seen the, the story going around on Facebook over the past week or two, um, focusing on the, on the University of Tennessee. Right? They haven't had a lot to talk about on their football team, so there, there's some <laughs> other really good things to say about them. Um, <laughs> but there was a, a school, right, that um, it was Spirit Day at the school, and um, everybody, all the students were encouraged to wear their, their favorite teams colors and shirts and this one little boy tennessee he was a tennessee fan and so he got an orange shirt he didn't have one that had tennessee on it and so he took a piece of paper and he drew kind of a ut on it and put it on his orange shirt he was so proud but when he walked into school all the other kids started to make fun right this thing that he couldn't wait to show off a source of ridicule. Well, his teacher saw this, and her heart broke for him. And so she posted something on, on social media about it, right? Just a picture of the kid, you know, no head, but just the shirt, and said how, you know, she wished that she could, could help him out in some way. And sure enough, by the wonders of social media, there are some good things that can come from Facebook, right, that, um, that the University of Tennessee found out about it and sent this care package to her to share with the boy that was full of Tennessee paraphernalia. And then pretty soon the, they decided that they were going to print his design. If you were watching College Game Day yesterday, you saw the host had the shirt that he had designed. And all the proceeds from the sale of that shirt will go to a, an anti-bullying organization. This teacher just saw her student struggling and simply asked, can anyone out there help me get him something from Tennessee? She just did it. 
And this beautiful thing came about. There are moments in our lives, there are places in our lives where God is calling us, just do it. Don't worry about what you think the size of your faith may be. Because even the smallest amount, even if you believe in me and in my power, even just a little bit amazing, powerful, wonderful things can happen. And don't do it just because you'll get rewarded for it. Because the rewards that we see here today are nothing compared to what God has in store for us through continued walking with him and following with him. So this week, it is my challenge to you to take your faith and to look around and to see how can I serve? How can I love? How can I care? And even the smallest way. How can I be a person of faith? And just do it. Every day. Will you pray with me? Holy Lord, our God, you have some, some wild and crazy things to say to us. We recognize that sometimes when we hear your words, they, they make us a little uneasy. Right? They cause us to stir just a bit, but we know that that is your intention for this life of faith is not always comfortable, but is meant to go and to be lived out in bold ways. And so God, we pray that you will open our eyes, open our ears to the ways that we can be servants in your kingdom. To the ways that we can follow what our master has required. And that we may do so. Not seeking after praise or reward. But simply doing as is required of us. As your followers as your disciples. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.